Hey everyone, I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and this is Girlboss Radio. On this week's episode, we're going to talk to an expert and entrepreneur who is a little different than the usual guests we have on the show. Her name is Era Katz, and she's the co-founder and co-CEO of Seed. Era and I are going to talk about a little something called microbiomes and our gut and all the ways that probiotics play into that. You see, the company Era co-founded is a consumer life science company that develops probiotics that are based on research, not mythology, which, believe it or not, it's actually pretty rare. Seed is also pioneering applications of bacteria to improve human and planetary health. And if that's not impressive enough, they're also pioneering the inquiry and application of microbiome science to improve human and planetary health. Think about it. A probiotic can save honeybees? In short, they do a lot. And we're going to find out about it on today's show. Here's a little bit of what Era shared during our interview. When I got pregnant, uh, the world knows, the algorithms of the, of the interweb know that you're pregnant. Everything gets, starts getting served up to you. Information, products, uh, not to mention all of the unsolicited advice that you get from strangers and people in your life. And I started just thinking about, like, where did, does all this stuff come from? Um, because so much of it is absolutely not grounded in any kind of science or biology or kind of understanding of it. Welcome to Girlboss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women, exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. On today's show, Era and I talk about how her breastfeeding experience led her to discover the microbiome and inspired a personal mission to explore the importance of microbes and how they can impact the health of our bodies, our children, and our planet. We also talk about what it was like working in Hollywood producing, what she learned from her previous experience with companies like Beachmint, and so much more. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Era. Thank you. We start every episode with the same, pretty much the same question because we have these incredibly accomplished women come on Girl Boss Radio. And what we don't usually hear is where we got our start. So we know you've been in startups for a really long time. We'll get into that. But what was your first job? Where'd you start? I started in fifth grade <laughs> selling t shirts for a Rainforest Alliance. And it was my first, yeah, I had the first give back brand in fifth grade well so I started I think I, I had always known that I wanted to be a storyteller and I always felt also like the hustle from like a super early age I went to a school um, with a lot of very very wealthy kids and I was not and so I think there was like a a, a fire or like a spark there that started very very early but I was also really creative and so I definitely started in fifth grade with T-shirts for a Rainforest Alliance. Um, I definitely moved to some things that now are legal in California, um, <laughs> but maybe weren't when I was in high school. That was not in fifth grade. That was not in fifth grade. That started in ninth grade <laughs> and went through freshman year or sophomore year of college. But that certainly taught me a lot about, <laughs> about pricing strategies and, Amazing. and marketing. And demand. Uh-huh. And perceived and value and perceived value in supply and demand, and I think it, you know concurrent with all of that, I was always I was always really creative, but I f- I felt that burn from a very early age, which was you can just always do it. Your like you can you can figure it all out yourself, and um, and I think that's kind of where the hustle started. And then uh, I, I as I said, I knew I always wanted to be a storyteller. I actually started in um, in media and entertainment. 
and I was a filmmaker for uh, really like the first decade of my career. Starting starting when I was eighteen, I started working on films, um, and then I was on other film sets and doing all ki- all kinds of jobs and worked came out to LA always did like million internships it was incredible it was around the time that like Moulin Rouge was um, premiering in Cannes and there were a lot of really exciting things happening in film at that time uh, from a filmmaking perspective and I think that was always I just really actually never had a job I just went into producing really from interning um, and, and writing and I got very lucky that I was able to raise probably that's where the hustle came in I was able to raise uh, money very easily from a very early age um, and figured out uh, how to raise capital and I think that always kind of allowed me to get a tremendous amount of experience uh, very quickly and so I made movies for a really long time for those of those listening because we you know we have we've had actors on the podcast but we even had a ton of producers and producing is something that is very entrepreneurial what and there's such a variety of things that you do as a producer could you describe what the role of a producer is in entertainment <laughs> oh man I mean it, it is it is like saying the word entrepreneur um, which is like what does that mean um, it's every it, you, you do everything and I mean you direct movies you'll never get credit for you you save movies in post-production and the edit room that you'll ne- you'll never get the credit for you rewrite things you don't get the credit for you raise all the money you hire everybody you make sure it gets distributed a distributor then when it's getting distributed you make sure it's being distributed correctly you need to make sure the people get their money back you need to follow up on financials but at the same time of course it's really starts from and I think it's interesting because it's a lot of parallels um, to what we're building now it really teaches you that the idea that every single every single detail of something it really ultimately stops with you um, when you're producing and I think that was always so that was always so interesting to me um, and it fed right into the hustle piece but it also allowed you to start thinking about how really almost everything is successful in the story that you tell at every level. So for example, like you identify a piece of material and of course the script is the main story, but then it's, well, what is the story you're telling to the director to be able to get a director attached? What's the story that you need to articulate and how are you going to position this to an actor, for example, or to the the cinematographer? And then, you know, you finish and then you're on the set and you're like, well, how am I managing 300 people at a time, uh, and it's raining, and it's the middle of the night, and who needs to, and everybody needs to be fed, and you're, you know, so it's, it's, it was, it, it's an, I, in some ways, I always think that people should just, you know, kind of not dissimilar to like any of those like self improvement courses. People should just work on a film set, because if you want like a very fast crash course and how you put a lot of people together very quickly, all moving towards like the collective of creating something, but all with their different personalities and all with. Um, uh, all their different needs and and trying to like figure that out. It's it's actually it's an extraordinary exercise in um, in like human <laughs> ecosystems. Yeah. Ecosystems are your thing. Yeah. One of the things I find interesting about entertainment and you know entertainment isn't necessarily your jam right now, but I think a lot about teams and I think a lot about culture. And what's fascinating is that when you put a set together, when you put your crew together for a film or a television show there's hundreds of people who have never met before never worked together before assemble somehow work well together it's enough when you have 10 employees and then it becomes 20 and there's this kind of like legacy of okay this is how things have been done there's leadership on each of those teams in entertainment people come together in the hundreds produce something and then go away and then go to another project and work with a totally different group of 300 people how that works it's incredible. It's so baffling to me. Yeah, it's funny. If we 
get into any biology or um, uh, kind of nerdy nerdy science, it's it's not dissimilar to the way bacteria orient themselves in ecosystems, but. To speak to that, one of the most interesting things about film and the reason that, and actually it's funny, at Seed, we have a a kind of part of Seed called Seed Studios, so I'm back producing again in some ways, but of course for us it's kind of how we translate science, so documentaries and shows and stuff, and so it's been really fun to do it in the context of something like a bigger thing that you're building. But what I loved about what's interesting when you're in the industry is that you spend a lot of time, more of your time figuring out how to get to the creating of the film than the creating of the film. And what and one of the reasons that I absolutely love startups and I love being an entrepreneur versus being in that industry was that you have a lot of people building careers and not companies. And what you find is that the the, the level of self-preservation is is really about how is this going what is you know when you're on the set yes you're working towards this collective but ultimately you are another credit on somebody's IMDb and you're certainly like of course the people who care about their craft that those moments are incredibly important when you do get the opportunity to come together and actually make but in the industry and this is one of the reasons that I really left was that you know you have people that are assembled around telling the most extraordinary expressions of like the human condition and telling the stories that connect all of us to people around the world. But yet the way that people treat each other and the way the industry works always felt very antithetical to the art itself and the fact that we were really telling stories about the human condition, yet people weren't treating each other humanely. And I think, um, I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I, it was that that conflict, that misalignment, just didn't sit sit well with me, and so um, I, that was certainly one of the reasons that I felt like, well, I, I just want to go create and have that not be. I don't want to work ninety five percent of the year to spend five percent of my year creating. I want to work. I want to create a hundred percent of the year, and control <laughs> how it goes out into the world. And so I think that was, and, and the fact that people really are just building careers, and and you know, in in the entertainment, on unlike kind of in at least for the most part in entertainment, unlike in like the startup world, most people don't have equity in the company. They don't have vesting schedules. They don't have a way to feel ownership over the company themselves. They just have them. They have their careers. And I think as a, as a result, the dynamics are how do I, what do I do, what's best for myself? Um, and I think that just never felt like aligned to me. People want a lot of creatives, even in companies, you know, especially in fashion, I experienced want to build their portfolios. And sometimes their interests aren't aligned with the companies or they don't do do things that are necessarily on brand because their peers from the company that they came for last, they're trying to prove something to to their peers in the creative community and build a portfolio that can get them to the next thing. Yes can be challenging to align creatives with what's best for the business rather than what's best for them. It's hard for founders yeah. to like reconcile that. Yeah. You're like, don't you understand how important this is? Yeah, yeah, to rally around something that's not personal, not the founder's vision, like idea, but something that's actually subjective. Uh, this is the brand. Hey guys, if you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, I have to recommend the bid. It's from our partners over at BlackRock, the financial services company we've worked with to bring our wildly popular Money Moves series to life. The bid is a great podcast to listen to when you want to stay up to date on what's going on in the world and understand how it all impacts the financial markets. I walk away from every episode feeling so much more informed about the what, the how, and the why behind changes in the financial markets. And that's super helpful since there's always so much going on. To stay up to date on the changing financial landscape and how it can impact you, download and listen to The Bid wherever you get your podcasts.
And now let's get back to my conversation with Era. You got into startups eventually after that. And one of the first ones was Beachmint, which yes. I'm very familiar yes. with. I'm friends with the founder. I haven't talked to Diego in so long. It was one he's of one the, of our investors. Okay, yeah, I think ours too. Yes, um, <laughs> somewhere on a cap. He's table. been so supportive, and you know there is a parallel in entertainment. I guess when you began, when you when you began your career in startups, in that Beachmint was a company that worked with celebrities, well-known names to create lines to create a apparel and jewelry and different categories in fashion uh, in collaboration with them. Was that, what What from your entertainment career did you bring to that? And why did you decide to move into something like Beachwood? It seemed like the per- perfect segue from where yes. you were to getting into the startup world. I know. <laughs> Existentially, that makes that makes me uh, uncomfortable <laughs> because I sometimes look back at these things and I'm like, I had just, it's funny, I had literally just finished a document. I was working out of J.J. Abrams' office at the time when I met Diego and I had just, I was in post-production on a documentary, uh, which was the adaptation of Howard Zinn's book, The People's History of the United States, which is a book that literally rocked my world in high school and was really the true history of our country. And I've kind of always been an activist and always felt particularly like around like civil civil rights and, and civil ri- liberties. And it was funny because I, you know, that was a great example where we we took something that was really a book about history, um, and with all these extraordinary actors and musicians, and um, Eddie Vedder and Bob Dylan and Springsteen, and I mean just Sean Penn and Murray. I mean it was it was it was an extraordinary um, way of, and it was all through these like spoken word performances that we filmed, brought American history to life and gave people like a new door into it, and so. I've, I had always had, an, you know, I, I had been in tech even before that, like in my academic life at the Media Lab um, at MIT. I, was, I had been coding websites and kind of hustling for like a long time since I was like 17, 18. So, so it, you know, tech wasn't so far for me. Um, but really, it was my work making zombie films with George Romero. Um, oh, cool. I made George Romero's last two zombie films. So I made um, Diary of the Dead. Um, and I and I made Survival of the Dead, which was George Romero's last two films. And again, an example where George Romero, who's a huge civil rights activist, if you remember Dawn of the Dead, most people listening to this will have, may have no idea what I'm talking about. But it was it was his it was his zombie film in a shopping mall, and it was his statement about American consumerism. And George would always say to me. I can't say the things I want to say and make money doing it, but if I put <laughs> zombies in it, I can make all these big statements about the things I care about and my my lens on the world. And so between like one of the things that I learned and and having made a lot of films up until then that where you had to like sell it to a distributor more traditionally and then they put it out into the world, the coolest thing about my experience with like zombie fans and George Romero who's like a legend was that you got, he had his own audience. So you think back, of course, that's like, you know, everybody listening to this are like, well, duh. But this is pre-social media. You know, this is pre, he he had people wherever he would go, he would show up at a convention and people come to, to meet him. People dress up like zombies. And it was my first experience of like, almost like direct to consumer where in making these films, we were engaging, we would offer, we did all kinds of contests where people would be able to like, who could be a zombie on set? Who could, I made the first app of the dead. So it was my first mobile app where you could turn yourself into a zombie, but it was my first, those were my first experiences like 
really seeing that you could cultivate a direct audience um, with a piece of talent. And then what that experience was where you were that proximity to the end user and consumer, like the speaking directly to the human. So really it was through zombie fil- zombie films that I was like, oh, this thing where you like communicate directly to humans, whereas like in traditional media, there's all these intermediaries. It's like broadcast. Yeah. yeah. It was like, it was, um, that was really like, eye-opening for me and so when I went um, I had finished Howard's you know Howard's film um, and the documentary and and that was like oh again two pieces were kind of working one was I, I knew I wanted to do something direct to consumer and the other was I knew that you could use talent um, as a way to cultivate community and audiences to kind of care about things and so you know Beachment was interesting because like I actually didn't care that much about the things we were making meaning I wasn't necessarily like the customer but I was really fascinated by how we could use, and it was interesting, it wasn't just celebrities or um, or talent, it was also the person in their life that was like an expert. So for example, with like Kate Bosworth, it was Cher Coulter, her stylist. And it was cool to see how we could take content and build community around each of those and how, um, how we could tell stories through the products. Um, and again, this isn't that revolutionary now but back then there wasn't like a, t- a ton of that happening yeah it was um, early e-com yeah it was it's early like nasty l so, beachman exactly fab fab just fab just fab yep, i mean exactly early la e-com really you know for me it was just an exercise and like wow you can cultivate these communities directly you can sell these things directly people have experience you know and i think and, and then i got to of course make a lot of content and then i ran all the um we, we used a lot of those communities to raise a lot of money for like some really interesting causes and did some interesting uh, interesting projects there um, on the nonprofit side too. And your role was in marketing. I, you know, I was on, <laughs> like we were talking about earlier, what does a producer do? I mean, I, there were, I think there were five, there were four, four of us when we started. Um, we launched the first brand. I think there were eleven of us. So like, what do you do? Like I don't. I wouldn't. I've. Ne- I had never called myself a marketer before. You just do everything. I mean, you do everything. How How long before Beachment ended did you leave the company? And how did you know when to leave? I think I. You know these. First of all, it got. I think when I left, it was one hundred and fifty people. And I think you learn very quickly. And I've learned. I. I didn't know what that felt like to scale a company very quickly, but. I really learned where I thrive, um, and I think when th- things get to that size, which not that in some cases they shouldn't, um, it may not be where I thrive myself. Um, and I and I think that you know I, I watched us do a lot of things very fast, and I've and I think I had some you know thoughts about like where we could have focused better, which of course are easier to say say in hindsight. But I also knew like I, I'm very clear about when like I feel like I could no longer like I you know the, the that magic that happens in the beginning is really like what I'm much better at. Um, and I think when you get into larger scale, I just felt that you know particularly if it's not something that you feel incredibly aligned with, you wake up every day in some some aspect of kind of misalignment and conflict, and it's really hard when it's something that you were there at the beginning starting. Those moments are very very challenging, like ending any relationship. You know, it's like it's it's messy and mushy and leaky gut. Yeah, it's leaky gut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so yeah, so I think it was just it was really natural, and I also had always known that I wanted to crack something around like what what this the thing that we're gonna live with was gonna be. I knew I wanted to focus on health. Um, I knew I wanted to go do some things that maybe put me back and things that like I knew, you know, you realize when you realize you're not the consumer too, it's like hard to spend a lot of time creating and selling things when it's not for you. Um, so I think that was all and, those. And you went to Spring after that, which was a mobile yes. commerce marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yes. What did you take away, you know, prior <laughs> to Seed, what did you take away from those experiences that have really helped you being a founder today? 
Um, I mean, you know, I so I so I was one of the co-founders of, of Spring, and that was again at the very beginning of mobile. I mean, we got to launch Apple Pay with Apple. We were one of the first, you know, there was one of those fourteen logos up on the up on the screen when Apple first launched Apple Pay. And so, you know, it was you have to remember back in these moments where I'm like, oh, one tap, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, we buy something on your phone. Who cares? You remember back then, it actually wasn't um, it wasn't a behavior that we were that we were used to. So I think there was like I had always had kind of two parts of me. One was, and I, you know, I think most people look back on their on their twenties and can say that there are a lot of decisions they would make differently today. I really believe, while I'm very proud of everything we built at Spring, I think we built incredible technology. I think it was exciting at the time. I feel I would feel fraudulent saying that somehow I had like was ex- was both was existentially satisfied and had solved the reason that I solved that I left Beachman. Like, I think that would be dishonest. I think it was, I think there was something sexy about it. I think there was something that I felt I knew that I could do well. Um, but I think what you learn as you are an entrepreneur and you realize you can do a lot of things is like, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And I think I, and, and you know, there are some other factors. It was in, it was in New York and I live in LA. So, you, you know, you kind of, it's these moments like you, like, like the, the life hanger, life hangover moments where you like wake up one day and you're just like, how did, how did that decision actually get made in my life? When I remember the reason that I just left something else and somehow I've checked those boxes again. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that, that, that went into that decision. And as I said, again, not because I'm, I met actually two of my employees at Seed, um, sorry, at Seed came from Spring um, and it opened up an amazing ecosystem. And I, I, I love the people that I worked with. I think we, I think at the time we built something that was incredibly relevant, but there's a, a lot of reasons, you know, that, that went into making the decision to do it, th- that I think Seed is a representation of how I will probably never do that again. And I had, and what happened was, is that I had a miscarriage and that was just that was it was just a, a wake up moment. Um, it was a real like I being living on planes and trying to run a co- trying to partially run a company from from L.A. that was with the team in New York and being back in like a, the world of fashion and, and tech in a way that I did, again didn't feel existentially aligned with. I wasn't the consumer. I wasn't there were so many so many factors to that that I felt you just kind of ask yourself the question of like, how, how did I get here again? Um, and then I had the miscarriage and I've, which I'm in- incredibly grateful for because it was just like a really beautiful moment that reminded me that um, the life I wasn't, was living was really not viable. And I wrote a resignation letter to my uh, co-founders the night of my DNC. Um, and it was a very, very hard thing to do as, as, as you know, like in the world of tech, like, I was the only female co-founder. I felt like I was letting down like every woman in technology. You know, you you just you kind of go through these narratives that are not necessarily rational, but um, again, those things are mushy and complicated. And that was it. And and of course, transitioned out over a while and actually got pregnant very quickly after that. Um, and uh, I married my baby daddy when I was six months pregnant. <laughs> six months pregnant, um, and decided that I just would never get to those like would never check those boxes again. And decided to ch- I guess change the boxes. Hello, Sophia here. I want to update you on a little bit of podcasting news over here at Girl Boss. We have a new show. And if you've been following along with us since last year, you might remember Lip Stories. Lip Stories was our second podcast released after Girl Boss Radio, and we did it in partnership with the wonderful people over at Sephora Collection. 
And I'm so excited to announce we're coming back with season two of Lip Stories this summer. It's hosted by Christina Zias, and she's going to be leading some very honest and very real conversations about self-image, about our bodies, and about how our perceptions of beauty change over time. I can tell you that these are some empowering conversations from some amazing individuals, and I don't want you to miss it. I'm already subscribed, and I hope you are too. If you're not, make sure to subscribe to Lip Stories wherever you get your podcasts. The first episode drops August 9th. And now let's get back to my conversation with Era. So you have a two-year-old. Three, oh gosh, he's three and a half now. Three, wow. Yes. So what is Seed? We are a life sciences company that focuses on all the ways that bacteria can impact human and planetary health. You know, the origins of Seed also came from not only you realizing, okay, I need to double down on something that I feel is really personal to me and I can get behind, but also you had a breastfeeding experience that was, you know, in some ways the genesis of seed and the spark of the idea for for the business. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I have to kind of go back to <clears throat> just to give you a little bit of my history around like health, which is that, you know, my mom died when I was 17 of pancreatic cancer. She was sick for 361 days so it was really like at a very young age I was exposed quickly to what pathology looks like what sickness looks like what does it look like when someone's not well um and and all the physicality of that and so I think and and I was an athlete as well and so I had always been super interested in biology and health and then as as health and wellness started rising and as people I think started you know, all these trends started coming up. Of course, people started wonderfully thinking more and being more conscious about their their bodies and their health. I started also watching how far this was moving away from like any kind of grounding in science or like biology. Um, and so these words started getting get you know started getting thrown around very simply, like things like um, you know detoxing and uh, cleansing and all all of these ideas, which you know it are probably not not. Uh, bad on on their own, um, but I think they they did contribute to kind of a a bigger idea that 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 did concern me, which is that we've really stopped caring about science. Um, and I think when I when I was um, when I when I got pregnant, uh, the world knows the algorithms of the of the interweb know that you're pregnant. Everything gets starts getting served up to you: information, products, uh, not to mention all of the unsolicited advice that you get <laughs> from strangers and people in your life. And I started just thinking about like, where did, does all this stuff come from? Um, because so much of it is absolutely not grounded in any kind of science or biology or kind of understanding of it. And I would be more and more in rooms where I would realize, you know. You know, people would talk to you for hours about what diet they're on. But then you just, you know, you ask in a room of like MBAs, PhDs, you know, people who are really smart in many other areas and incredibly successful. And they would tell you for three hours why they're keto, but they do this on paleo on Saturdays and, and they don't eat lectins. And, and and then you just start to dig in about like, well, what is a lectin? Um, how does digestion work? You know, because you, if, you, if you know so much about what you're going to put in your body, do you know what even happens to it when it goes in your body? And so I started realizing there was this kind of dissonance. And when I was pregnant, it was profoundly clear um, that a lot of women um, and, and men really don't have a basic understanding of biology. And so I started realizing that if we had that understanding, like how would that shift the choices that we make? And so um, I went through my pregnancy and actually met my co-founder when I was pregnant. 
And that's where we started. And he's an extraordinary translator of science. Um, and I started realizing that there was an opportunity to kind of close that gap between like humans and science, um, and particularly around the choices we make for our health. And then when I had my, and we had, we had already kind of started looking at bacteria and the microbiome and, and thinking about, you know, knowing where we were, even at the time we started seed, like how an understanding of the microbiome um, and and how you get your microbiome from your mother um, at birth or the, the beginning you, like wipe your face on her like butt <laughs> you well if it come if you if the baby comes through the vagina oh. um, they get microbes they get bacteria and microbes from the vagina from fecal matter um, any woman who's listening to this podcast that has given birth knows exactly what I'm talking about and then from your skin um, and then of course from the environment and then from there um, and uh, and but what you're talking about which is swabbing which is for a lot of babies that don't come through the vaginal canal they've started um, it's it's a bit controversial and the FDA doesn't really know how to regulate it yet but there are a number of scientists working on understanding if you should take uh, swab the vagina and then wipe that over the over the infant. Um, so that they can get the microbes that they kind of naturally at least approximate the microbes they would have gotten at birth. Um, but back to your question about breastfeeding, after about three and a half to four months of uh, having my son, I could only supply about a third of his breast milk. And I think, again, having just, you know, from at that time spent about a year or so, like starting to really deep dive into the microbiome and the importance of breast milk, as a side note, uh, a third of the carbohydrates in breast milk are not digestible for, by the infant. They're literally only food for an infant's microbiome, for the bugs, <laughs> for the for the, the the fertilizer for the seeds, so to speak. And so, you know, not having breast milk was I knew I and of course the more you know, um, the bigger the kind of the burden is. And so when I started to look for supplementation options, you know, the best the best advice that I got was you know just get the expensive stuff from Europe, and I just found that to be a really shitty answer. And that was one of the first things that really spurred us and in, um, into kind of starting and saying, you know, well, what what could we do to to set a child up for a healthy life? Um, uh, looking through that kind of lens of the microbiome, and so we started with the reinvention of formula, which we're about a year and a half or so away from uh, launching, um, and that became a much bigger project and then ultimately company that really looks at all these um, applications of bacteria for for human and environmental health, and that's seed. So speaking of translating, yes, yes, what's the microbiome? Can you describe it sure. on like on like the you know rookie terms? Thirty-eight trillion microorganisms live inside you, mostly bacteria. There's also viruses and phage and other things called protozoa. And three to five pounds of your body is not human. So imagine as if there's an organ you kind of never knew about. Um, and that is your microbiome, and it lives on in and on you. So majority in your colon, but it lives pretty much any external surface. So your skin, vagina, they now know there's an or optical microbiome, <laughs> so your eye. Um, in your nose, in your mouth, there's an oral microbiome. Um, your skin, uh, of course, is really interesting because it really is, you know, a big part of why a lot of skin conditions um persist. Why armpits armpits right and well arm, i mean armpits there's it's not its own it's it's part of your skin microbiome yeah. yes yeah why do they smell <laughs> because of, it, it is because of bacteria <laughs> although it they, they smell smell is a um a relative term in biology just because of course there's different smells for different species um, mean different things but will you um, ever do a deodorant I have no idea why I'm asking yeah this. we've it's, it's funny we've just looked at a couple pieces of IP for both deodorant and um, and mosquito repellent because it's a similar you know similar mechanism Wow interesting 
Um, so for those of our listeners who don't know a lot about the microbiome, how does it benefit us to pay attention to it? What does seed do for us if yes. we if we subscribe? Sure. So so I'll separate two ideas. So one, the microbiome, if you think about the bacteria that exist in your body, they work very closely in concert with your body to basically and they and they really form the foundation of your immune system. So this is like every time something comes in contact with you, microbes are a big part of deciding if it's friend or foe and whether or not you mount like an inflammatory response, for example. Um they're a big part of deciding, and that and that's partially why you hear you hear about um, like if an infant has a compromised microbiome, why they're more likely to develop like autoimmune conditions or food allergy later in life, is because very early on those microbes weren't trained properly to determine whether something is friend or foe, or whether or not they, they should treat it as um, a pathogen, or if they should treat it as something that's um, good for you. And so it's why so that they would, for example, they'll they'll identify like a protein from a peanut as something that they should mount a response to. Um, and that comes to that like early training. Um, and that's why it's so important in those critical critical years of, a, of the like first two to three years of life um, that that we start thinking about how we develop like healthy microbiomes for children. But in, in, in your colon and certainly your digestive system, they're a big part of how you extract nutrients. They're a big part of digestion, um, of, uh, of ensuring um, most importantly too, how they, they express um, genes that are that are part of creating like very tight epithelial layer. So if you heard of leaky gut, like you said earlier, you really want that like that wall between like your gut and your body um, to be very integrous. So you want that to be. And so so um, microbes are a big part of, uh, of and, that, and that's part of your immune, obviously part of, again, the immune function that I was talking about. And they do all kinds, you know, so they, they are a big part of also how you break down foods and then extract um, nutrients. But not just that, they're able to take certain compounds, for example, in our symbiotic, which is one of our first products, we have a compound called um, uh, that comes from pomegranate skin, and so uh, and we, you'll you'll start to probably hear a lot about this even in like mainstream health in the coming years, where bacteria can take um, the the this compound that's in the skin of pomegranate. It's called punicalgin, and they trans they biotransform it into something called urolithin A. So which is which is what you'll start to hear is like called short chain fatty acids. And so these are these are so they don't just kind of break things down, but sometimes they break things down and then create metabolites or, or compounds that are really useful for the body in all areas of, of health. They're a big part of even regulating things like cholesterol. Um, and then in the and I'm sure you've heard of like the gut brain axis. So we're starting to understand that connectivity, the highway that exists between like the brain and the gut, and how microbes are a part of regulating like what you crave for appetite, um, what you like to eat, um, and even uh, in the coming years, I think we'll start to really understand like their role in like everything from mood, how you respond to stress. Um, we know that your microbiome, for example, responds to like crowded places. Um, or we know that for people who live in the built environment like we do and not in nature, you know how we have like a lower diversity of our microbiome because cities really have much less micro microbial diversity than like in, in the woods, for example. So it's really interesting. It's kind of I always say it's like, you know, in um, minority report, you know, it's it's once you kind of see the matrix and you <laughs> understand that there are microbes not just in and on you, but really all in the world. It's almost like it's its own Internet. Um, that your body is kind of talking to. And plants, you know, plants use uh, microbes also to talk to one another, even in the forest, like sometimes miles away, which is kind of crazy. 
Hey listeners, I want to loop you guys into something I've been listening to lately, and if you have an Amazon Alexa or Google Assistant smart speaker at home, you should get on this too. Our friends over at BlackRock, the global investment manager, have created short weekly briefings available through these speakers and are updated every Tuesday. I've found it's the easiest way to stay up to date on global market activity. Just search for BlackRock Briefings as a flash briefing skill for Alexa and in Google News for Google and opt in. Then you'll be all set to listen each week. That's it. With BlackRock Briefings on Alexa and Google, you'll get the quick and easy updates that will help you feel smart and informed about the financial landscape. Head over to blackrock.com flash briefing if you need more information on how to listen. See you there. And now let's get back to my conversation with Era. So you're backed, you know, I think it's fascinating to raise money for a probiotic business from huge celebrities and venture mm-hmm. capitalists, because sure. a lot of people don't know yes. about the microbiome and, you know, what it is that you're doing, the science behind it. And you have Carly Kloss and Jessica Beale and Cameron Diaz and some really, really great investors. How do you go to them and say, hey, I'm starting a bacteria, company, business. bacteria <laughs> business for your gut. Uh, give me your money. Yes. Um, well, it's... <laughs> It's a it's a really good question. Um, so so one of the most important distinctions to understand about like what we were just talking about as a segue to kind of answering the question you just asked is, so there's your microbiome, and then there's probiotics. And pro- a probiotic is by definition a, a bacteria or microorganism that you take to have an impact in the human body, which means that it's been demonstrated in clinical research to to and not the fermented food or the kombucha or the kimchi, but the the strain itself of bacteria is taken and has been studied to have an impact in the human body. And so what we, you know, it, one of the things, I mean, we were very mi- mindful of who, of course, we have a lot of big investors who also invest in like life science and, you know, the drug side of our business um, and the therapeutics that we're developing, which actually by the time this podcast comes out, we'll probably be, we will be public about our, um, our, for example, our women's health track, which is our, our drug for urinary tract infection, um, and uh, and our interventions for uh, bacterial vaginosis and preterm birth. And so I only say that piece to answer your question about the, the investor piece is because we were very careful. So Jessica Beale is a huge advocate for women's health. Um, she uh, works with a couple organizations that are really big advocates are also around like sex, sex education as it relates to women's health. Um, Carly actually is a huge science nerd, which I think a lot of a lot of people know. Um, she not only understands kind of um, the importance of science, um, and I think that was really exciting to her. And, if, and I think she is, is very mindful and has a lot of integrity around the things she speaks about around health. And um, and so I think she kind of got excited about the bigger vision. And and of course, all of them are great business people as well, and 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 have great business people around them. And so, understanding probiotics is the fastest growing consumer health category in the world. So, I think you know it was not just for some of them. And and Cameron has her; she's written her beauty books, um, which are actually even her, even the gut part, the the gut health and microbiome pieces of her beauty books are incredibly well researched. And so. And actually, she had she before knowing us, she had already interviewed some of our scientists for her, uh, some of her content for her books already. And so, uh, while it looks like just a lot of celebrities, we're very intentional about the people we bring into our community. We care a lot. Um, we recently launched a um, a university on Instagram, uh, specifically kind of rooted in education for influencers and for partners because we take seriously like the people who have. 
um, shown a lot of integrity and alignment in like not sensationalizing and not being hyperbolic about things around like health and wellness. And so the people, three people that you mentioned, we have some others, um, really have demonstrated, we believe at least publicly, um, that they care a lot about the integrity of the things they align themselves. Because we're, you know, we're in a category where there's a lot of noise. What's next? Oh, we have a lot of things. <laughs> a oh my lot God. of things going on. Uh, yeah, it really um, sounds like it. Yes. Well, we, a few things. Uh, we we work in environmental health also. So um, so we have a publication coming out soon uh, for our probiotic for honeybees. Um, which is really exciting for people who know that we have a big honeybee problem in the world. Uh, so we have a probiotic for honeybees. We have some really exciting materials work that's going to come out soon for um, bioplastics that are made from bacteria. So a partnership with a company in Europe around some of the, the ways that bacteria will um, start to help us think about our single-use plastic problem. Um, and then on the human health side, uh, as I mentioned, I think by the time this comes out, we will be talking about our, we'll be a therapeutics company. So essentially on the biotech side of our business, we'll be thinking about the ways that we're going to use microbes um, to create interventions for urinary tract infection, um, which is incredibly important. There was a New York Times article this past weekend about urinary tract infection. The antibiotic resistance um, uh, to to the fluoroquinolones, which is like Cipro and you know some of these other uh, antibiotics that are regularly prescribed, is now gone from three to 17% in a decade, which means that they're no longer working. UTIs are the number one bacterial infection um, in the United States. Uh, they impact half of women globally. And, there's currently, and it's the worst. And, and it's the worst. And, and it always and it's happens on my period and of my course. stomach's upset. Yes. And like everything's happening. Everything. And that's disgusting, but yes. it's like, no, it's the worst. Why does it all and, and And there's also really interesting research about how they're often, they've been dismissed for a long time by doctors. You know, because it's you know they're they're it's not necessarily life threatening, except for maybe some that are hospital acquired. But it's 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 a of course from a quality of life perspective. But now we're starting to understand the correlation between um, you know UTI and all kinds of areas like of of or of the vaginal microbiome and like uh, fertility um, susceptibility to preterm birth, which affects ten percent of infants in the world. And so our women's health um, tra tracks and an R and D is incredibly important to me. Um, I think it's going to be a really, I think it's going to be a, not just an opportunity to change women's lives with our interventions, but totally change the way we understand our vaginas <laughs> and how important uh, the bacteria is um, for protecting against S um, STDs, HPV. Um, of course, its correlation with fertility is really important. So you have um, a lot going on. Yes. Yeah. What does success mean to you? Oh, man. You know, it's personally, professionally, you know, it's so like funny. It's There's two just, words yeah. that that don't resonate with me. One is success and one is career. And the other is career. It, you know, I, I've spent a lot of my life trying to really figure out how to not be attached to things. Um, I genuinely believe and I'm certainly this is one of the oldest ideas, you know, from from Buddhism. But I think attachment is where suffering lives. Um, and I I. I have really learned that I, the idea of being attached to an idea in the future to me is just feels like suffering. Um, I, I think most people are already successful. <laughs> if you think about all the things that have to happen in your body on an everyday basis for you to just wake up um, and like live your life and go to sleep every day, it's actually pretty extraordinary. You just be grateful that your body works. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and, and I, you know, and as I said, I mean, most women and most people don't really start to un understand and appreciate this by, and, and look, I understand that that doesn't get you the house and it doesn't necessarily get you the car. 
I, you know, and it's funny living in a living in a, a state now. I'm an East Coaster, so living in a state with earthquakes and natural disaster, like you, those things don't those things don't matter to me. Um, I, it's not what I get get up and and like work for. Um, if you, it, to me, success is. I, I mean, at least I can I can speak in the articulation of, around the context of seed, um, which is I do I think we have a huge opportunity to change the way to change human health and uh, to change health in general, which for us human and planetary are kind of the same. I think if we play some, what I tell my team and what we talk about all the time, actually this came out came came out of a really interesting conversation I had like a year and a half ago with Jizza from uh, Wu Tang Clan, which I'm a I'm a big fan of, <laughs> and he um and he he just said to me he's like look, if you, you just gotta wake up and nudge the world, feel like you like nudge the world forward like just a little bit every nudge. day, I love and that's that. it, I and that's on to me like if I feel that. Every day we get emails that someone will tell us, even if we don't have the science for it, that like seed fundamentally changed their life. They don't live with Crohn's anymore. They don't have this infection. And again, those are anecdote. Those are anecdotal. We don't claim them. We don't put them on our website. Um, we get emails from people saying like, "I just I see what you're you're doing in the that one Instagram post fundamentally changed the way I think about food." Um, those are the to me those are just nudges and like you know and you end up creating a intervention for urinary tract infection of course that's a huge win if you in the process change the way women may understand and start to destigmatize like people who live with these infections because sometimes just understanding is incredibly healing um, and we've learned that from like our customer service for example we have scientists that answer a lot of our customer service questions and people will say look I my I might I can't even take your product but the way you just explained to me what I live with every day is what no doctor could have explained to me and has been able to explain to me in the past 10 years. And just sometimes information can be so incredibly impactful in someone's life. So for me, I, I just wake up and, and success is like, do I feel at the end of the day that I nudge the fo world forward just like a little bit every day? Oh my God, I That's love it. that. That's our poll quote for Instagram. <laughs> um, and there's something I ask everybody that comes on Girl Boss Radio and we have this thing called Girl Boss Moments, which we have on our digital platform. That's part of something called My Journey, which is really an opportunity to celebrate something that you made happen um, that could be personal, professional, just like a moment where it could be, I gave myself a bubble bath, I bought a plant, or I graduated from college, or we launched an amazing influencer prog program this morning that my team put on Slack. <laughs> I would say two things. The first uh, was that I built a spaceship um, with my son uh, that he then like strapped to his body and wore around our neighborhood in Venice for like a day uh, telling everybody that he was going on a, uh, a, a space trip um, and that that was his new home. And I thought, wow, like how, what, how incredible to just be in proximity to that kind of like canvas of how Belief. someone sees the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'd say the second one is I think our women's health work is, incredibly exciting and important and the idea that we could impact um women's health that way is like pretty uh meaningful to me era thank you so much for coming on girl boss radio thank it's you been for a pleasure me. and where do we find seed seed.com that's a good url at, at seed on instagram All right, everyone, that is our show for today. As always, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And go ahead and share this episode with a few friends, screenshot it, Insta story it, link to us, and let them know that you want them to listen to Girl Boss Radio. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>